0: Part two, chapter eight of A Vital Question, or What is to be Done by Nikolai Chernyshevsky, translated by Nathan Haskell Dole, eighteen fifty two to nineteen thirty five, and others. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Part two First Love and Legal Marriage. Chapter eight The Temptation of Hamlet one day at tea marya aleksyevna said that she had a headache after serving the tea and locking up the sugar bowl she went away and retired biera and lopukov remained sitting in the tea-room which adjoined the bedroom where marya aleksyevna had gone after a few minutes she sent a message by fyodor tell your sister that their talk keeps me from going to sleep let him go somewhere else so as not to bother me say it politely so as not to offend dmitri you see what good care he takes of you. Pyodor went and told what his mother wanted. Let us go to my room, Dmitri Sergeyevich. It is away from mother's bedroom, and we shall not be disturbed. Of course, this was what Maria Alexeyevna expected. At the end of a quarter of an hour, she crept in her stocking feet up to the door of Yurochka's room. The door was ajar. Between the door and the jamb was a splendid crack. Maria Alexeyevna applied her eyes to it, and strained her ears. This was the sight that she saw. In Virotchka's rooms were two windows. Between them stood a writing table. Virotchka was sitting near one window, knitting a woolen chest protector for her father, religiously fulfilling Maria Alexeyevna's command. At the other window, at the other end of the table, Lopukhov was sitting. He was leaning with one elbow on the table. He had a cigar in his hand. His other hand was thrust in his pocket, the distance between Virotchka and him was not less than two arshins. Virotchka was looking most of the time at her knitting. Lopukov was looking most of the time at his cigar. This was a gratifying state of things. The conversation that she overheard was as follows. Is it necessary to look at life in this way? These were the first words that Maria Alexeyevna caught. Yes, Vyra Pavlovna, it is necessary. Then cold, practical people must tell the truth when they say that men are governed only by selfish motives they tell the truth what are called the higher feelings ideal aspirations all these in the general course of life are absolutely nothing in comparison with the inspiration felt by everyone to do things for his own interest at bottom the impulse even for the others is caused by selfishness da are you for example of the same sort what do you suppose Vera pavlovna just listen and see what is the essential motive of all my life the essence of my life hitherto has consisted in study and preparation to be a doctor excellent why did my father send me to school he used constantly to repeat to me study Mitya. when you have finished your course you will be a chinovnik you will be able to support me and your mother and it will be good for you too and that was the reason that i studied without that motive my father would never have let me study you see my family was in need of a wage-winner dah and i myself though i am fond of study would not have spent time on it would i if i had not thought that the expenditure would have been paid back with interest after i got through school i urged my father to send me to the medical academy instead of making me a chinovnik how did that come about father and i saw that medical men live much better than civil chinovniks and the heads of departments and i could not get any higher rank than that and that was why i got the means and went to the medical school it stood for bread and butter without this in view i should not have gone to the medical school and should not have stayed in it but you loved to study while you were at school and have you not liked medical science yes it is an ornament and it is also profitable but success is generally won without this ornament while without a motive never love for science was only a result arising from a certain state of things it was not the cause the cause was just one thing self-interest let us suppose that you are right yes you are right all actions that i can remember can be explained by self-interest but this theory is cold theory must by necessity be cold the mind must judge of things coldly but it is merciless yes to fancies that are empty and injurious but it is prosaic science does not care for a poetical form and so this theory which i cannot help admitting brings people into a cold merciless and prosaic life no vira pavlovna this theory is cold but it teaches a man to bring out the warmth a match is cold the match-box on which you scratch the match is also cold but there is fire in them which gets a man warm food and warms him also this theory is merciless but if it is followed people will not become the wretched objects of idle charity the lancet must not bend otherwise it will be necessary to pity the patient who will suffer none the less because of your sympathy this theory is prosaic but it reveals true motives of life and poetry and the truth of life why is shakespeare the greatest poet because he is true to life and has less illusion than other poets So am I also going to be pitiless, Dmitri Sergeyevich, said Virotchka, smiling. Don't be drawn away by the thought that you have in me an obstinate opponent of your self-interest theory, and that you have converted me to be a new disciple. I myself long ago felt the same thing, especially after I read your book and heard it from you. But I thought that these were my individual ideas, that clever and scientific men thought otherwise, and so I was in doubt all that we used to read was written in a spirit of contrariety it was full of adverse criticisms of sarcastic attacks upon what we used to see in ourselves and others nature life reason lead you one direction books drag you the other they say this is mean contemptible do you know i myself saw the absurdity of the arguments which i myself brought up yes so they were absurd Vera pavlovna well then said she laughing We are making each other wonderful compliments i say to you you dmitri sergeitch please don't lift your nose so high you say to me you are ridiculous with your doubts vira pavlovna at any rate said he also laughing we have no selfish interest in making love to each other and therefore we don't make love all right dmitri sergeitch people are egotistical aren't they you were speaking about yourself and now i want to speak about myself of course men think about themselves most of all very good now let us see if you will put this into practice let us see a rich man wants to marry me i don't like him must i accept his offer consider what is for your best advantage my best advantage you know that i am very poor on one side is my dislike of the man on the other i should have the upper hand of him an enviable position in society money a crowd of worshippers weigh everything choose what would be most advantageous and if i choose a husband's wealth and the crowd of worshippers i shall say that you have chosen that which seemed more correspondent with your interests and what ought to be said about myself if you have acted coolly after mature deliberation it will have to be said that you have done wisely and probably you will not be sorry for it but would my choice deserve condemnation people who talk all sorts of nonsense will speak about it as they please but people who look upon life from a reasonable standpoint will say that you have done as you ought if you have done so it will show that such was your individuality that you could not have acted otherwise circumstances being as they are they will say that you have acted under the necessity of things that properly speaking you could not have had any other choice and no condemnation whatever for my actions Who has the right to condemn the results of a fact when the fact itself is in existence? Your individuality in the given circumstances is a fact. Your actions are the essential, unavoidable results of this fact, arising from the nature of things. You are not responsible for them, and to condemn them is absurd. Well, I see you stick to your theory, and so I shall not deserve your condemnation if I accept the rich man's offer. I should be a fool if I condemned it and so your permission i might say your approval i might even say your direct advice is to do as i have said there is always one thing to advise reason out what is for your best if you do that you have my approval thank you now the personal case is decided let us return to the first that is the general question we began by saying that a man acts from necessity his actions are determined by the influence from which they take their rise the stronger motives always predominating our arguments went thus when an action has vital importance the stimulus is called self-interest its interaction in man is the calculation of self-interest and therefore a man must always act in accordance with the motive of self-interest do i express the thread of the thought perfectly you see what a good pupil i am now this private question about the actions that have an important bearing upon life is settled but in the general question there remain some difficulties yet your book says that a man acts from necessity but there are cases when it seems that it depends upon my will to act in this way or in that for instance i am playing and i turn the leaves of the music i turn them sometimes with my left hand sometimes with my right hand let us suppose that i have turned them now with the right hand why could i not have done it with my left hand does it not depend upon my own will no vira pavlovna when you are turning the leaves not thinking which hand you use you turn them with the hand that is most convenient there is no will about it if you think let me turn them with my right hand you then turn them under the influence of this thought but this thought itself was not a matter of your will but was engendered unavoidably by others at this word Maria Alexievna ceased to listen no they are spending their time over science that ain't in my line it ain't necessary either what a wise intelligent and i may say noble young man he is what reasonable advice he gives virotchka and that shows that he is a learned man now here i go and tells her the same things she does not listen she gets offended i can't suit her because i don't know how to speak scientific enough but here when he speaks scientific she listens and sees that it is the truth and she agrees with it Da! it is said not in vain knowledge is light ignorance darkness if i had been a well-educated woman would it have been with me as it is now i'd have got my husband into favour with the generals i would have got a place for him in the department of supplies or somewhere else just as good new of course i should have done the business myself with the contractors the idea of his doing it rubbish i'd have built a much better house than this i'd have bought more than a thousand souls but now i cannot it is necessary to get a recommendation first in the society of generals and how can i do that i can't speak french nor any other language of theirs they'll say she ain't got any manners all she's good for is to make an uproar on the haymarket so i am no good ignorance is darkness indeed knowledge is light ignorance is darkness now it was just this conversation that marya Alexeyevna had overheard that brought her to the conviction that dmitri sergeyitch's conversation was not only not dangerous for virotchka she had been inclined to think that before but was even likely to do her good to lighten her own labours in overcoming virotchka's foolish inexperienced girlish thoughts and hasten the mystical benediction in the affair with mikhail ivanovitch End of part two, chapter eight, recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine.